Welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show, created and hosted by Scott Knudsen, to explore the crossroads of horses and business. Now here's your host, Scott Knudsen. Hi, and welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I'm your host, Scott Knudsen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Whether you're listening to us on NBC affiliate out in California, the great KCAA in Southern California, or watching our podcast on one of our many platforms, we appreciate it. If you hit the subscribe button on our YouTube channel, Cowboy Entrepreneur, we appreciate that as well. Today, we got a really special guest. Michael Stickler is with us. Michael is a horseman. He's a writer, best-selling author. Uh, he's an entrepreneur. He's, he's a conference speaker and also a publishing house. So, uh, Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, thank you, Scott. I, I remember that radio station from the days that uh, I lived in Southern California back when Chino Hills was still dairies and, and ranches <laughs> and, and whatnot. Um, so I remember that. Oh, that is so great. The good days, man. The good days for sure. That's I right. love the station, man. That Brad and this whole team has done such a great job and it's an honor to be on there for sure. You bet. Well, let's talk about you. So uh, how did you grow up so you could be a master of so many different things? <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm a master at them, but I've, Just, I've, I've put effort into some, there uh, you some go. pretty solid things. So my family have, uh, has always been uh, both in the ranching and farming community. I'm a fifth-generation rancher farmer from um, – out of, actually out of the central valley of california the bakersfield arvin area on my mm. mother's side my father's side has been entrepreneurs um from the beginning even though i never lived in bakersfield um i'm the youngest of three they they moved to the central coast of california beautiful country um when i was just just born and uh and so i really call san luis obispo and that whole county uh, my home my late wife and I had a horse ranch there in Templeton, which is just 15 miles north. Um, I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, or we often call it Cow Poly, those that were in agriculture. <laughs> and um, went on, did some graduate work at, at uh, Colorado State University in Fort Collins, though I didn't finish my graduate work. I was there um, to focus on some specific things about animal reproduction. And then... Um, and then went on with my life. And, and early on in my 30s, not even my 30s, really my 20s, I came to the conclusion that there is a lot of easier ways to make money than in the farm and ranching and business. It is a hard, hard business. And so um, I kind of made a change back in the 80s and, and went into kind of following my father's side of things, which was being an entrepreneur. And uh, and I just kind of moved forward from that place, um, having all kinds of different kinds of business. Some of them were successful. Some of them were not. Mm. Some of them were just mind-bogglingly fun. Others were uh, not so fun. I'll just put it that way, where I was I was anxious to get rid of them, uh, the business. And, um, and in around 2000, I settled into writing. Um, I've always been a a pretty good speaker, storyteller, communicator verbally. Uh, but, but I had a guy challenge me to start to write and I've now written 19 books. Wow. I'm going to go January. I'll work on my 20th. The first 15 never made any impact, really. Um, very few sales, that kind of thing. And then the 16th book, I got a, 
I got a, a writing coach and that turned out to be a bestseller. Then the next three books were all bestsellers. And the more I write, the more passionate I am. In fact, if, if you and I were to meet on an airplane or, or somewhere and you asked me what I did for a living, I'd tell you I was an author Love before it. I'd tell you just about anything. Cause I figure I'm going to write, you know, as long as the good Lord lets my, my fingers drag across the keyboard, I'll probably write. And, Love um, it. And so that's kind of kind of how I got here uh, to this place in life. Man, I love that. I, I, I love the story. So so when you were growing up ranching and farming, what, what kind of horses did you ride? Were the quarter horses or Mustangs or thoroughbred? What did you kind of go toward? Great question. So generally, um, I, I have always stayed focused on quarter horses. I showed a little bit of rain in horses, then rain in cow horses, then cut in horses. Uh, when I was a younger guy, I switched over briefly. Uh, actually, you laugh at this, especially if you saw my size. I switched over to English for a while. And, and I actually did it because I wanted to expand my, um, my skill set and my understanding of the horse. And I had an opportunity for a, to work with a trainer at that time, back when I was a kid, that um, she was a well-known hunter-jumper trainer. And so I worked with her for a while just to to uh, get a little taste of it. And, and let's just face it, the, the whole show industry with, in English is chock full of girls. And that I was quite frankly thinking about that more than anything else. I understand. <laughs> I understand. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Um, so you thought out your plan and that's the direction you went. So that's impressive. <laughs> that's impressive. I did. But, you know, there's a difference in the flat tack and a Western saddle. And it's totally different styles. I've done both too. And I love it. I love the challenge. I love to work the other side of the um, the brain, so to speak. Um, yeah. So, so you said you worked for some trainers. Were those reining trainers? No, they were uh, working cow horse and cutting horse trainers. I, I worked for several, yes. but uh, the two which were, Hall of Fame, uh, really uh, Hall of Fame trainers. Uh, Bob Knudsen, spelled different than than your last name, with an uh-huh. S O N, and uh, a guy named uh, Dwayne Pettibone. Dwayne was known uh, had an auction house, really well known auction house for a number of years. I worked for him on the business side of things, and uh, I did some training. And then and then we had that horse ranch, and we went out on our own. Uh, Raising, uh, well, raising horses, but also training and, and riding, cutting horses and working cow horses primarily. Uh, it's yeah, something I love awesome. to do. I still have a lot of passion. I follow it. Um, you know, I go to the Snafflebit Futurity here in Reno and watch it. And I could, I'm proud of myself. I can still judge pretty much within one or two <laughs> points of what the judges do. And, That's good, uh, man. And so, That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I sat there with my sister and we were judging and actually scoring horses and and I was right right in there with the judges and my sister was getting mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's great. That's I'm so glad you said that because someone that doesn't own a horse but likes the sport, they can go to an event and they can practice judge all day long and really I that's mean right. you're engaged in it so much. I mean you you become p- kind of part of it. That's right. And there's so many things to do, you know. As I've grown over the years, you know, one of the guys I worked with was a guy named Bill Gibford. He he passed away a long time ago, but Bill Gibford did something that I thought was just really, really wonderful. He he would take us younger guys and gals and stick us out in the middle of a pasture 
with a herd of horses and and leave us there all day and and the job was is to learn how horses communicate with one another i love that and so so all we would do is sit there and sometimes in the sun and just watch the horses and then take notes of how they communicated with one another where how did they pin the ears back how did they look to one another who was dominant what was the pecking order how you know was the difference between uh this bite and that bite what were they trying to say with it um just just uh, submissiveness and and aggression all of those different things and it just was probably one of the most refreshing things i ever learned one of the most I, i'll rephrase that one of the most basic things i ever learned that i even use today when talking and trying to learn to communicate with human beings it's just really observing them and, and trying to understand what they want. Make the wrong thing difficult and the right thing easy. No, and, I love and, that, man. Yeah. It, it's just, it's just uh, goes back just uh, all those years. And, and it's funny how you can use it with human beings so often. It's not a trick. It's actually a communication, really learning how to communicate with people so you understand what they're thinking and, yeah. and, and make – make life not so difficult on each other. Yeah. It, it, the, knocks down, the, it knocks down. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You know, the funny thing is, is when you got 1100 pound horse sitting in front of you, you're never going to win a battle of will no. and strength no. with them. You're never right. going to win it. So how are you going to learn to communicate with them? Well, in some situations with people that maybe they're not 1100 pounds, but they, they, uh, they control this, the environment, the situation around you. They control you in your job or you're uh, yeah. maybe in a, in a negotiation or whatever. And knowing yeah. that what horses taught me about communication applies to everything I do every day. Yeah, absolutely. It's so organic and it's so simple just to sit there and listen and watch and they'll show you That's everything. Right. They don't lie. They've never lied. You know, they will always tell you, you can always learn from them and, and it works. I love that he did that. You know, so many trainers think they know more than the horse. The horse always knows more than the trainer. I don't care how accomplished. And and right. they teach me something every day. Of course, I didn't know anything, but they still teach me something every day I go out there. And uh, that right. was really cool that you got to do experience that. I, I bet yeah. as you all said out there, did you all have the conversation? Like, what did you think? Who did you see as dominant? I bet it got you all engaged in talking and watching. We did. And um he would he would actually ask us to write notes and then sit down and he didn't really care what our answers were. He wanted to know if we observed. I love that. And so we would take notes and then we'd, you know, he maybe would sit us down in the barn or, you know, individually or sometimes together and just start asking questions. So what'd you see? What was going on? And and when we were as a group, it actually helped us understand what we saw. You know, so we would just take notes and then and then sit down and and uh, and then, um, you know, converse together what we saw. Another guy that uh, I rode with, again, he's, he's gone on with Be the Lord, was a guy named Bob Hadley. He was a head and horse trainer in Central Coast of California. He moved, to, he moved to Texas when all the trainers were moving to Texas. And he got me started in cutting horses. And he let me ride a, a, a horse that was an own son of Doc Bar. It's called Doc Starbard. He went on to be... Um, uh, not all that great in the arena, but he produced a whole lot of winners. Doc Starbard did. And, uh, and he was a good horse, um, just a real good horse for a guy who didn't really know cutting that well to learn on. And uh, a mild, a mild um, 
stallion. Um, and then I, I had a horse called Doc's, um, I'm sorry, Shogun. And uh, he was an own son of Doc's Oak. And, and uh, that was just, he was a lot of fun. I did real well with him on up and down the West Coast. And, and then I rode another horse uh, uh, in working cow horse and raining up and down the West Coast. So had a lot of fun doing it. Kind of miss it in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, I got a lot of other things going on, too. Yeah, you do. You have a lot of stuff going on. So somebody that's maybe hadn't ridden a horse before, or maybe hadn't ridden a good cutting horse. Can you describe what that feels like to get deep in the saddle and, and, and just let the horse do its job? Well, most of us, the hardest part, I'll start with this. The hardest part about riding a, riding a, a good cutter is leaving it alone. Just leaving it alone. Okay. Yeah. So the first few rides, if you've ridden any, ridden at all, the first few rides, the hardest challenge is to keep your legs out of the horse and keep, keep your hand down on its neck and, and just leave it alone and let it teach you about cutting. What's, what's funny, especially if you've been around cows at all, is you, you anticipate what the cow's going to do. And, and it's through our own human understanding. We anticipate what the cow's going to do. And the stinking horses got it 100%. And we might have it 95%. Maybe. Maybe closer to 90 Okay. But he's got it 100%. So just leave him alone and let him do it. And then, and then once you really kind of understand how it all works and, and, uh, and holding on and, you know, I don't care how good a rider you are, you can get, you can get dumped by a good cutter. Yeah. Quick. And quick. they get down in the ground and they start moving. And, uh, I'll say it's just not for a guy who has a bad back. I'll tell you that because, um, yeah. It's just not going to work. It's going to tear you up. But um, I, I always say, get on a good horse, get with a good trainer, and then just go and 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 uh, and take some rides and and learn from the horse. Just learn from the horse. Don't try to do a whole lot of anything um, for even maybe the first year. Just try to learn from the horse, and then and then get back around and start to learn the nuances of how this should work and. Um, you know, placement and working the herd and turn back and all the other things that happen. And, and don't even try to get into training uh, until you, you've ridden several years on a, on a good cutter. Absolutely. It's so much fun. It's so quick. And like you say, you just kind of sit back and do your job, which is just staying on the horse and let the horse figure it out. Nature takes care of nature. And, right. and, but it's so fast. It's so quick. And, and, uh, Man, the rush when you're on a good it horse is. with a down on a good cow and he's down, ready to go. You can just feel his whole body shaking. Yes. And yeah, they'll, they'll get right down, you know, like a like a crab on the beach. You know, they get right down on the ground. You, you'll feel them just going back and forth and back and forth. Their muscles twitching underneath you. And, and it's hard to imagine that that a horse like that can carry you and do that all at the same time. You know, move like that. And yet they can. And they're also, if you watch their ears, they're also being conscious of, of trying to keep you in the center of gravity with them. They're actually right. paying attention to trying to keep the rider where it needs to be while he's doing his job. And that that is something else to see and, and understand. When yeah. you first start riding, all you're doing is just hanging on and hoping, you know, hoping to get 
uh, stay through the whole process. But right. uh, it is it is nothing like it. And and what's funny is I like working cow horse better. I like I mean I love doing the fence work. Uh, I mean there is nothing better than just going full speed down that fence and then turning that cow back against the fence at breakneck literally breakneck speed and then coming back around and doing it again i i just i love that i'm getting kind of old to do it now oh you got to do a couple more you got to ride a little bit longer but when the um, yeah when the when the horse crashes i don't recover so well anymore (laughs) (laughs) oh man but but i i sure love it i just think that is also just one of the most exciting things there is to do Absolutely. And California's covered up with, I mean, there's a lot of good horse people and a lot of good horse, a lot of great events, you know, and there's a lot of states that have it. You just don't know, you know, because you, like I live in Texas and, and, you know, we think Texas is the only place, but there's so many other great states and California's huge into it. And, uh, yeah. It, it's and, and here in, uh, in Nevada where I live, you're right. Because most of the, the whole ring cow horse thing came out of California, mm-hmm. Nevada, Oregon, some Idaho. It's really out of that buckaroo tradition, uh, and the buckaroo and the buckaroo still very much uh, exists, especially here in northern Nevada where I live. And they have ranch rodeos, and and uh, they have a lot of fun events that they do out in places like Winnemucca and Tonopah, Nevada, and um, Ely, Nevada, those places. And and they're much more practical. I mean, let let's face it. The cutting today, the working cow horse today is a show event, okay? Mm-hmm. You, if you did what we do in the working cow horse event on a ranch, you'd get fired the first day. Instantly. Right? But, yeah, <laughs> the first day you'd be out. <laughs> but but um, uh, that's really where it came up. It's out of the old vaqueros from Mexico and and that following that tradition. And then the cutters came from Texas. And that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother, um, the tack is different. The bridles are different. The style is different. Everything's different about it. And as a rider, you have to adjust to the, um, from one to the other. Yeah, and that's cool. One doesn't, go ahead. I said, that was so cool. You did that because it's not easy to do. And and you did that. That's really cool. Well, I tried to do it. I don't know if I did it, but I tried <laughs> to do it. <laughs> hey, you know what? That's that's more try than most, man. That's really cool. And I, I hope people listening to us or watching us today go out and try and do it or look up the Vaquero or look it up online and get excited about it or maybe just go to a cutting facility and judge some horses. And maybe that's, that's right. the way you get to the industry. It's a, it's a lot of fun. And, man, when we come back from break, we're going to we're going to talk to Michael about writing his first book. And and uh, for all the writers out there or want to be writers, it's going to be really educational and And stick with us, and we'll be right back from the break on the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Scott will be right back with more. Hi, I'm Scott Knudsen, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Heard on KCAA, Fridays, 3 p.m. Pacific. I'd like to talk to you about something I'm very passionate about. Those that know me know I love my coffee. In the morning, afternoon, and even late in the evening, I enjoy a good cup of coffee almost any time of the day. Now, my team at the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show has been working for several months on creating and introducing our own brand of coffee. We wanted to make sure that we got it just right. We don't want to put our name on anything unless we're 100% certain that it's the best product available, and we've finally done it. We have created a wonderful line of coffees, 13 fantastic flavors offered in whole bean, ground, and K-cups, any way you like to brew your coffee. Now, each of our coffees carries our brand, 
the very same brand that we put on our horses, our trailers, and our chaps. So you know that this is a quality product. And we only use 100% Arabica beans, the very best beans available. Just listen to some of these wonderful blends and flavors. Jamaican Me Crazy, Honduran San Marcos, Chocolate Cherry Amaretto, Breakfast Blend, and my very favorite, Haley's Blend. A coffee so good, we named it after my daughter. You can order these coffees today by going online to javacowboy.com. That's javacowboy.com. And if you order today, you can get an extra 10% off your final purchase just by entering the promo code COWBOY on checkout. Remember, that's promo code COWBOY for an extra 10% off. Just go to javacowboy.com to order your coffee today. Hello, I'm Scott Knutson, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I want to tell you about a product I've tried and I love and I feel the Cowboy Entrepreneur audience will as well. It's Rebellious Infusions. Rebellious Infusions, there are little packets of flavor. And you know, it gets hot in South Texas, over 100 degrees every day. And I like my water, but it's water. So I use these infusions, put them in my water. It makes it cold. It's great flavor, zero sugar, zero calories. It's pure energy infusions, rebellious infusions. Go to drinkrebellious.com or on all social media platforms. Drink Rebellious. Hi, and welcome back to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I'm your host, Scott Knutson, here today with Michael Stickler. Michael is a horseman, a writer, a publisher. He's a speaker, and uh, among other things, he's a, he's a busy man. So, uh, Michael, I appreciate you taking time to be on the, on the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. And, and uh, man, that first segment about horses, you got me fired up. I can't wait to go to the barn and ride now. Um, so let's talk riding. Do you, do you, and uh, I know you're an avid rider, and and uh, you've had some bestsellers, and they just you just keep as you getting better and better. So, do you remember your first book? I try not to. <laughs> uh, mic drop. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I try not to. It was. I, I'm not very impressed with it, especially now that I go back and look at it. Well, let's um, not even talk about it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. What's funny is those first 15 books that I wrote, I'm not very proud of them. I look at them and today and go, oh boy. Um, but you know, the way I see it is they were the they were the path of getting me to the point to be in the kind of writer that I am today. You know. Um, I was first, so how I got into writing is I, I was a communicator. I would go and do speeches. I did speeches on communication and I used the horse as my jumping off place as my, as my illustration. And awesome. then, so I got, I got pretty good at doing uh, verbal communication. And so I had people asking me, you know, well, have you ever written a book? And then I had, you know, people kind of cornered me in it. And I was a reluctant writer. I mean, I was reluctant. You, you know, you could have asked me to do a whole bunch of other things. You could have floated my teeth before I <laughs> let you I let oh. you do this. And um, but I went down, I started writing and and uh I struggled with those books because you know I studied agriculture. I on purpose tried to stay out of English class and humanities class and all of that kind of stuff. And and so uh, I didn't ever taught myself to type. Even today, I only type about 30 words a minute with two fingers. Um, and and uh, so to ask me to write was really difficult. Oh, and let me add one other thing. I'm dyslexic. Oh, my. And so it, it's mostly dealt with as an adult, but still it, it 
it's a challenge. So it causes me to be, to be a bit of a slower reader, that kind of thing. Mm. And so I started writing and what I struggled with was sentence structure. I kept just guessing all of my, you know, second guessing everything I was doing, made the process slow. It wasn't enjoyable. It was, it was frustrating. Then you add to it that I didn't type very fast and all of that stuff. And so, but I was, I knew I needed to do it. And so I just kept working at it and kept working at it. And I had help and I had ghostwriter a couple of times, tried that avenue. That didn't help. Didn't help me, you know. Right. And then I finally, um, in, in 2010, I got a coach. And this guy, um, who I'd gotten to know, um, in other ways, he started to help me understand that writing book authorship is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. Mm. And so to recognize that I had one role on the team and there were other roles throughout this whole team. And my job was to be the storyteller. I didn't have to worry about the grammar. I didn't have to worry about spelling. I didn't have to worry about word use. I didn't have to get my uh, uh, thesaurus out. What I had to do is tell the story. That was my job. And then I had a general editor who, who helped shape the whole book into a book form. And then I had a line editor who took each sentence and made those sentences more robust. And then I had a cold reader or what most people think of as a proofreader. And their job is to defend the English language to make sure that, um, you know, we used a short hyphen or a long hyphen. Was it supposed to be a colon or a semicolon? All of that kind of stuff. Mm. And, and all the while that general editor is kind of riding herd, if you will, on the whole, on the whole process. And my job was to tell the story. And, and when you've written a few books, as I have now, you start to realize it's really not fair that I'm the guy with the big name on the front. You know, I, I go out of my way to make sure that everybody that was involved in the book is listed. But I'm the guy with the name on the front because it's a team sport. It's not right. just an individual sport. And, uh, and learning that freed me up. Okay, just freed me up in my writing. So all I had to do now is just dump the story on the page. I, you know, lay my heart out there, lay my humor out there, lay my guts, my pain, everything. Just lay it out there. And then not worry about how wonderful it, it came out and how well it was written right. and all that kind of stuff. Do the best I can with, I, with what I got and then let the other people on the team deal with the, the other parts of it. And it really, really helped me um, once I got there. So book 16 was a bestseller, 300,000 copies. Book 17 um, passed over 200,000. It keeps going. So does um, 16. The next one was a little slower. It was specifically in the Christian market. I'm still achieved a, a good line. And then my last book, which came out last year, Ghost Patriot, was my first fiction book, um, which I don't know I'll ever go back. I liked writing it so much that um and it's done really well it's on on the way um you know to becoming well it is hitting the bestseller list in certain places and it's just moving moving right along people really like it and i loved writing it so i think i'm going to just keep doing that for a while uh, that's how much um i like fiction 
Man, that's awesome. Congratulations, so. man. Not only on the bestsellers, but on your first one, having the uh, grit to do that. What, what mm. advice do you have to somebody? Maybe they're in traffic listening to the show or watching it and they're sitting in their barn or it's a podcast. So maybe they're listening to it while they ride their horse and they're like, man, I want to write a book. You know, how, how, what advice do you have to start? Like you started, you had the grit to do that. Don't be afraid of it. Uh, there you go. And, and don't overthink it. Okay. Most of us sit there and that's what I was doing. I was overthinking the whole process mm. and what I really need to do, you know, a good book goes through roughly, and I'm saying roughly, um, six to 10 edits. Okay. So, so don't worry about it. Back when you're laying the story down, just tell it. Okay. Just tell it. If you were sitting over my shoulder and you saw chapter one of Ghost Patriot, you would look at it and go, oh, my gosh, this man is illiterate. Okay. <laughs> There's red lines everywhere, you know, because word put red lines everywhere. I'm missing sentences. I, I mean, I, or, excuse me, I'm missing words. I got misused words. I go back and read it and say, how did that word get in there? <laughs> you know, because the computer changed it. And it, why I didn't see it is because I was just busy writing the story. Okay. Then I cleaned right. it up the best I could, and then I sent it to my editor. All right. Makes sense. So Makes sense. in the same sense, wherever you're at, you know, we just, we're publishing a book this next year on a guy who uh, spent most of his life in prison. Okay. And it is a, it is a quite a story. And um, he has maybe an eighth grade education. Okay. So he can't write very well, but boy, can he tell stories? The book's, uh, watch for it. The book's called Cannibal, and it is, it is, wow. It is a page-turner, amazing story. Um, you know, it's a it's a fact-based story, um, you know, where the names have been changed to protect the guilty. Um, mm -hmm. And, but, so I don't care what your education level is. I don't care, um, you know, what you think you can do. Just start. Just start, yeah. and don't be afraid of it. I, I love that. Do you think it's better for someone to start writing with their passion or do you think it's better to get do that first and learn the ropes and then go to something else like you were writing stories now suddenly you went to a fiction and now you love that so what, what's the best way for someone to start like just say if there's a horse trainer he wants to write a book or or a baseball player wants to write a book what's the best way to start so that's a good questions so i think the transition to write a good fiction book it's really i didn't realize this but it's really kind of advanced writing all right mm. it, it it presents a whole bunch of things that people don't realize it presents and if you're not if you don't have some experience writing books and i keep saying that because blogs are not books articles are not books a series of blogs are not books okay people that know how to write books okay i i recognize now i didn't before that fiction is kind of an advanced it's like college level book writing if you will opposed to high school level book writing. Wow. I had always written I had always written nonfiction books up until this point. Right. So they were true life stories, true life experiences, whether from somebody else or myself. And those are easier to tell because somebody lived them. You lived them, somebody else lived them and you're just reporting it and you're you're making it interesting. I always suggest you start there opposed to trying to write a fantasy book or trying to write something else, write about a book to get the experience, write a story about something that's actually 
either you were present and you witnessed or you're writing about somebody else who uh, was present and witnessed. So if I was a horse trainer as a baseball player, let's just pick on baseball player for a minute because we've been talking horses. I, I would talk, I would write about what it was like to, to work my way up, get to the show, um, you know, work my way. Maybe I was fortunate enough to be on a, you know, a major league team, what those experiences were like, tell some side stories that actually happened, you know, what happened at this city or, you know, the, the groupies that came running over to you. I don't know, whatever happens. I've never been a baseball player, so I have no idea what happens, but, but tell that. And, and, uh, and just dump it on paper, just put it out there. Don't worry about how it comes together. Don't worry about any of that. Just start to work on it. If I was a horseman, if I was a horse trainer, a cowboy, I would tell stories about real life experiences. Mm. Now, the difficulty with those are there's not a lot of interaction with human beings. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of lean your creativity into your experience with the horse or with the cow or with the cow dog mm. or whatever, and really kind of really kind of get that there so the reader sees it. You know, right. so an example, if I'm sitting the horseback and I got my my Australian shepherd down below me, yeah, and his name uh, he's gone now, but his name was Gaucho, and I looked at Gaucho and I said, you know, and I, I looked at him and said, Gaucho, and he looked up at me. How did you know as a writer you got to describe how did he look up at me? What was he thinking at that moment? What how was his head turned? Was his eyes both eyes on me and his ears up or was one ear out into the field of what he had in mind and one eye on you that's the kind of stuff that's a little more challenging because you don't you can't rely upon uh dialogue like you do with humans to carry the story forward you have to do the dialogue for the animals that are around you so that's one of the challenges that if you're going to write that kind of book and by the way a good western is missing in our genre this Nowadays yeah. in our culture, we're missing a good Western. So, yeah, we we need you out there to lead the charge on that. <laughs> I'll publish it, but I don't know if I'll write. It. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm telling you what, it would be so great to have one because not everybody's been in the saddle like you and I. And when that dog looks up at you, they don't know how he's looking or or what you're, he. They can go off a signal. They they're so That's alert right. and their eyes are looking at what do you want me to go do. And the interaction between you and the dog, the horse, the three components are just incredible. And to express that yeah. on paper is is incredible to have a writer that can do that. Yeah. And you can, but it takes practice. So I don't want yeah, you to be discouraged in it. Just just right. work at it and work at it and work at it. Uh, my last so, book, Ghost Patriot. Let me let mm -hmm. me just hit this. My last book, Ghost Patriot, there's a scene on a ranch in Nevada. Um, where they have a bunch of working dogs, as most ranches, especially big ones, have. You know, they got five or ten dogs out out front. And I wrote about um, how this this guy comes driving up on the ranch, and the dogs all come running out to greet him. You know, and they're yipping and barking and doing their thing. And then mm -hmm. when the engine shuts off, all the dogs disappear. He doesn't know where they are. They're gone. He opens the side door you know the driver's side door and he puts his foot out and the the alpha queensland just chomps on his ankle from underneath the car all the dogs had gone under the car waited for him to step out and then bit his leg how where did i get that story it was real life okay i knew a, I knew a, a ranch that the, the dogs would do that to you and so uh 
it, it really became very effective to set the scene of who these animals were, set the scene of the ranch. I used the the dogs later in a combat scene. It was really a lot of fun, but it was because of my experience with cow dogs, not any other kind of dogs, but cow dogs that I could write that. So, so again, that's nonfiction crossing into fiction. Well, if you're going to write a nonfiction book, you're going to have to get a little fictional to make it happen. Man, that's all. Awesome. I'm so glad you told that story and how you pulled it from that that situation. Um, and and when you so when you start first page and you sit down to write, do you? When we're getting close to break, do you have your notes on what you want to do? Do you speak in your phone and just let it all come out? Do you just start typing away on your computer? How do you start? So, um, the best thing to do is to is to um, outline it. Now, there's two kinds of people that outline a book. Okay, there are people who lay out an outline, detail by detail, and there are other people that we call pantsers who write by the seat of their pants, all right? And so it depends on who you are. You might want to detail it out, or you might want to just sit down with just kind of a rough sketch of what you want to write and how you want to write, and then you just let the words flow. Mm. Um, it, it just depends on you. Um, you can talk it out and then have it translated. That, that creates some of its own problems. If you can type um, pretty quickly, it usually comes a lot smoother. I don't type that fast, but I'll tell you what it did for me because I don't type that fast is it made me slow down my story, it made me wow. think about every piece I, because I couldn't go any faster. If if my fiance who types it, I don't know, some ungodly number of like 180 words a minute or something, if she was doing it, she can type really fast, but I don't know that that she's going to take that depth and pause and think about it. Um you know, more is going on up here than down here. And, that's, and, that's um, so, so good. Yeah. So don't be afraid of it. And I'm not saying write type slow. I'm just saying it turned in for me, it just turned into a, a you know, a strength, not a weakness. Well, I love that. It made you slow down enough to get the depth of what you wanted to say out and not skip over the storyline. And that's awesome. Right. And, uh, right. Michael, when we come back, we're going to talk about publishing in your company and some of the books you've done. And, and uh, we'll be right back on the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show with Michael Stickler. Thank you for listening to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Scott will be right back with more. For more information on Scott Knudsen, the Cowboy Entrepreneur, visit us online at cowboyentrepreneur.com. Hi, I'm Scott Knudsen, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Heard on KCAA, Fridays, 3 p.m. Pacific. I'd like to talk to you about something I'm very passionate about. Those that know me know I love my coffee. In the morning, afternoon, and even late in the evening, I enjoy a good cup of coffee almost any time of the day. Now, my team at the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show has been working for several months on creating and introducing our own brand of coffee. We wanted to make sure that we got it just right. We don't want to put our name on anything unless we're 100% certain that it's the best product available, and we've finally done it. We have created a wonderful line of coffees, 13 fantastic flavors offered in whole bean, ground, and K-cups, any way you like to brew your coffee. Now, each of our coffees carries our brand, the very same brand that we put on our horses, our trailers, and our chaps. So you know that this is a quality product, and we only use 100% Arabica beans, the very best beans available. Just listen to some of these wonderful blends and flavors. Jamaican Me Crazy, Honduran San Marcos, Chocolate Cherry, 
Amaretto. Breakfast blend. And my very favorite, Haley's blend. A coffee so good, we named it after my daughter. You can order these coffees today by going online to javacowboy.com. That's javacowboy.com. And if you order today, you can get an extra 10% off your final purchase just by entering the promo code COWBOY on checkout. Remember, that's promo code COWBOY for an extra 10% off. Just go to javacowboy.com to order your coffee today. Hello, I'm Scott Knutson, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I want to tell you about a product I've tried and I love and I feel the Cowboy Entrepreneur audience will as well. It's Rebellious Infusions. Rebellious Infusions, there are little packets of flavor. And you know, it gets hot in South Texas, over 100 degrees every day. And I like my water, but it's water. So I use these infusions, put them in my water. It makes it cold. It's great flavor, zero sugar, zero calories. It's pure energy infusions, rebellious infusions. Go to drinkrebellious.com or on all social media platforms. Drink Rebellious. Hi, and welcome back to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show with Michael Stickler. He's a writer, a horseman, a publisher, and a speaker. So uh, we've talked about horseback riding. We've talked about uh, writing books. So now let's go into the world of publishing. So, so when did you make the transformation? I know you're still writing books, but to also be a publisher. I did it because of necessity. Um, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. I, I got uh, also when I got to my 16th book and it was, it was done, I had a um, an agreement with a traditional publisher, and and that publisher was not getting my book out. It, it wasn't selling. They weren't promoting it. It just was kind of sitting there on Amazon waiting for somebody to drive by and, and find it, you know. And the problem was is that I knew that if I didn't – my whole business model was kind of wrapped around the book as a as a lead magnet and connection point to other people. And if I didn't sell, what that meant was that a year later, I wouldn't have very many speaking engagements and I wouldn't have the kind of connections that I, I had hoped to get. So uh, I wrestled my book back from my book publisher. I literally paid them to get it back. So they actually made more money off of me than they did um, selling the book. And then, um, and then my writing um, coach and I, Again, as we mentioned, I've been an entrepreneur all my life. And so we decided we we're going to look into what is it going to take to publish this. So we did a deep dive into the publishing world. We tried to figure out, are people still buying books? And if they are, where are they buying books? And how are they buying books? Those were like the first three questions. How do you market to them? Where do you find the audience? How do you do all these things? I saw that bookstores were closing and, and, and they continued to do, do that. So what, what's going on? You know, why are they buying them and where are they buying them? And so we kind of figured that out, or at least we thought we did. And then we turned around on that book and sold 300,000 copies of it. And, and, and we put together a, a very specific marketing plan for it, but it was, it was, uh, it turned out really well. And of course that led to business, um, further on down the road, like I thought it would. And, and the premise of what ultimately from that one experience turned into what is now leadership books is that we fit, we publish fiction or excuse me, nonfiction books in the area of business, finance, thought leadership, and Christian faith leadership. We also carry a, low, a, a certain amount of autograph books. Most of those are, are um, uh, political books. 
And the idea of what we do is we find great books in those realms, in those spaces, find great books, and we help the writer get to the place that they have a book that is high quality enough that it's going to sell 30 or 50,000 copies. Then, then we take it and market it and get it there and make it uh, through a very proven method of selling that those books. And then mm-hmm. also the people who buy the book are retargeted now with that nonfiction author's business. So whether he's a speaker, or he's got a podcast, yeah. he's got an uh, online course or whatever. So now they've read your book and they're already convinced that Scott Knudsen's the guy I want to talk to. Okay. And now right. they make that connection directly through us, directly onto the author and, and for a further business or piece of business. And, and it's a service that as far as I know, no other publisher does. Um, and it's, it's got some challenges to it, uh, but it, it certainly does work. Knowing that when you're having a conversation with this person that wants to hire you as a speaker, as an example, they've already read your book. So they already know that what you have, they want. Right. And, 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 and the book was a good book. Okay. So they're expecting you to be a good speaker opposed to a crappy book that they weren't very impressed with. Okay. Right. And, and, and sadly, most people are producing less than par book, you know, books. Uh, And that's too bad because, because we really have to do a better job at that. I mean, if you're going to take the time to write a book, which is a whole bunch of work, write a great book. Don't write a good book, write a great book. Right. Um, Right. Otherwise do something else. Love it. Love it. I love the site, your website, leadershipbooks.com. And I was on there the last couple of days looking around. There's so many great books. It's easy to use. Um, what, what's your favorite part or what's your favorite group of books on there? Because they're so, so diverse. Like you said earlier, there's four or five main categories. Well, hard to say I like my favorite because each is unique and it depends on what I'm, I want. I particularly particularly because I'm a Christian guy, I prefer to read the, the Christian leadership books that are in there. Some great mm. thought leadership. You know, for those people who, and I hear the media question me about this all the time. They say, well, why do you have Christian books along with the rest of these um, well-known, well-respected authors? And I say, well, because quite frankly, outside of the military, okay, let's just set them aside for a minute. The U.S. military has got it going on when it comes to leadership. They have universities and colleges. They have the war college. They Everything that they wow. do is about leadership. Okay, so set mm-hmm. that aside for a minute. Outside of the military, I believe that the Christian church spends more time on leadership and thinking about leadership and equipping leaders than any other group there is. Well said. Military's first, no doubt about it. But second is the church. And so they are those those men and women are producing a lot of great thought about how to lead people, how to connect people, how to build relationship with people, how to communicate with people. They they put together a lot of great thought about this. And mm-hmm. and so it would be foolish to just wave past it because you don't like the religion. Um, and most of the time when you put them on stage together, you put the books together, they very much compete. Their ideas compete uh, very competitively on the market. So my idea is, is to have those books competing right there on my webpage, right along the Seth Godin's and the 
you know, with, you know, next to Francis Chan and Francis Chan next to, uh, I don't know, uh, Peter Drucker. Okay. Because those guys are incredible. All of them are incredible leaders and you can learn something from no matter what the space is. The second space I like is thought leadership. I like thought leadership because it's challenging. It, it doesn't always fit the, the norm, you know, the traditional idea of how something should work. Um, and I, I love that a lot. Um, yeah. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, of course, is one that does thought leadership. I like um, Simon Sinek. I uh, I don't know. I never really understood if Simon Sinek has actually led anything, but he sure is phenomenal at communicating about leadership. Right. And, uh, and boy, so there's just some great authors like that. Man, that's awesome. Do you think pulling back from you being a horseman, you know, to, to um, that helps with the thought process and some of these books, you know, looking for good leaders? Because it's nonverbal with the horse and you're looking for different ways to lead people as you're trying to lead that horse in the arena. Do you think some of that pulls into what you're thinking, what, what you're looking for? Well, yeah, because the way we communicate is primarily by our presence and then Absolutely. by our words. And so how we carry ourselves, how we respond, how we work in a situation, in a particular situation, how we communicate, how we um you know, I, I remember years ago, uh, I was I was with a pastor, and his background was in plumbing. Okay, before he went into pastor, he was a plumber, and he was working on this house for the needy, or the church was working on this house for the needy, and they were trying to uh, lay out uh, a main water line to the house from the curb, and then so they had a big four foot trench dug, and they were trying to put this in there, you know, and he walked in. And and he didn't stand around and say, oh, well, let's all pray or anything like that. He jumped in the ditch and fixed whatever whatever the problem was. I don't remember, but whatever the problem was, he jumped in the ditch and fixed it. And everybody was amazed. He never said a word, but he provide he showed his servant leadership Love by doing that to everyone that was around. So the horse, and, and especially the way horses communicate. You know, uh, there's a reason that that uh, God gave us uh, one set of ears and and mouth and eyes is that we're supposed to keep them shut, pay attention and listen, you know. And and so paying attention, watching, listening is one of the key best parts. And then conversely, it's funny, just today I was talking to a, a woman who once uh, is kind of beginning her her uh, way in leadership and she it was interviewing with me because she had a book idea and while she was on the zoom call she sat there and ate her lunch okay <laughs> smacking her food chewing with her mouth open smacking her food and in and the the meeting was supposed to go 60 minutes i think i'd let it go 20 and i maybe got 60 words out of her and i just oh, looked at nice. her and i said you know, I'm just looking at her going, what, what are you doing? You know, what, what are you trying to present? You know, and you want to be a leader? Really? You want to be a leader? Um, you know, I, I, I recognize sometimes we all get hungry, but come on, you know, <laughs> she's trying Let, to work you in, in during the lunch break, bless her heart. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 you know, it's time to be present in the moment. Yes. You know? Good Absolutely. leaders are present in the moment and they're listening Absolutely. and they're, they're trying to understand. They're not listening to respond. They're trying to listen to understand. 
Right. And that's what, that's what I'm looking for when, when I'm talking to people. I love that, man. I, I love that. You know, that's, that's what we're all looking for. Somebody that's just going to listen, understand what you're saying and not be doing three other things at the same time. And, yeah. uh, that made for a long 20 minutes. So didn't it? <laughs> oh my goodness. I was, I was trying, honestly, I was trying to figure out any way I could to get off the line. I mean, oh. I, 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 I even thought about, oops, I accidentally pressed a in call button. Oops. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. it was that bad. Um, and of course I didn't <laughs> do that. I, I found a way out, but boy, it, it was really painful. You know, Oof. it was really painful to do. I felt like she was wasting my time and she certainly was um, wasting her own effort um, or Absolutely. lack of effort. And and yeah. it's just, and I'm not talking about decorum and, you know, um, that kind of thing. I'm talking about being present. You know, you and I mm -hmm. right now are very present with one another, listening, what? trying to understand. You're asking me questions. I'm trying to answer them, you know, to clarify what my points are. We have to do a lot more of that in our lives. And, and if absolutely. you're going to be a leader, you certainly have to be. Well, absolutely. A leader of one or a leader of a thousand, it doesn't matter. You have to focus right. and listen and, and adjust for sure. So when you're um, reading, what? who is your favorite writer? Or do you have a favorite writer? Is there somebody like right now you're reading and like, man, this guy's good or this lady's great? Uh, there's a bunch of them, but the ones I always, I, I'll list three because I get asked this quite a bit. Okay. I'll list three, one of which uh, fiction wise is Tom Clancy, the original. Oh, yeah. I love reading Tom mm -hmm. Clancy. Tom Clancy's books have kept me awake in the, into the wee hours of the morning as I couldn't put them down. <laughs> yeah. Um, as I write, fic write fiction books, I, I kind of try very feebly try to write at that kind of, at, at that kind of way. So I love fiction books and I like Tom Clancy kind of style books. Um, I like Michener as well, but they're not, those are, I, I prefer a Clancy kind of an active action kind of thing. Um, I am a big lover of Chuck Colson, uh, Christians wise. I love Chuck Colson. I listen, I read uh, before he passed away. I was actually mentored by him for about a year. Oh. Um, I love his books. Um, they're so thoughtful. The kind of his book, how now shall we live is a six, 700 page book. And, and that book takes forever to get through. Cause you'll read a sentence and you'll go, Wait, what did he say? And you go back and read it. And then you read the next sentence. You go, wait, what did he say? And you go back and read it because it's so meaty. There's so much there. You can't just read past it. You really have to, you really have to stick in it. Um, wow. So those, those are two books um, and authors I really enjoy reading um, just deeply. Um, my brain never gets a rest. So I like even yeah. in, in my uh, entertainment reading, I, I like books that are really challenging. Yeah, that's awesome. And there's so many good yeah. books out there, too. You know, I, I love reading. Amazing. And, and uh, it's just a great escape, but it's also a great way to learn, if, you know, at the same time. Um, it really so, is. So how can people follow you and see where you're speaking or see your books? And I, I know uh, leadershipbooks.com is one of your websites, but how can they get more engaged with you? Um, the best thing to do is uh, go do go to the website, check it all out. Um, the social media profiles are listed right at the bottom of the page. Click those and and join. And uh, our Facebook page, our Instagram page, and our our Twitter uh, page are all 
um, really uh, big updates of what we're doing when we're on the road, the people we met, um, book signings we've done, as well as those are the places on our in our social media accounts where you'll find discount coupons, free shipping. You'll only find those in our social media. You don't you don't find them on our website. You find them there, and that's so great. that's the place to go. Um, and um, we have a great podcast that uh, we call it the Compendium Podcast, where we um, interview uh, authors about their books for thirty minutes. That's why we call it Compendium. So it's tight. Um, informational, you can get right through it pretty quickly. Um, and, and you can always email me right off the website. I pretty much, unless you're a goofball, I pretty much will answer anybody. And so, um, don't write to me and say, Hey, I, you know, I don't like your politics. And I'm like, Oh, I don't like yours either. Let's move on. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to waste my time on that, but I will yeah. love to, and I love to encourage people to write. Yeah. I love that so much. And don't, so don't email you saying, Hey, I finished my sandwich. Do you have time now? Yeah, no. <laughs> oh man. Well, thank you so much for being on the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. And that is such a great news also for your social media sites, for people listening and watching us today to know there's free shipping and there's all these extras that are on your social media, which makes it so much fun to find that and get to use that on leadershipbooks.com and and thanks for everything you do. And thanks for being on our show. This has been a great fun, Scott. Yeah. I, I can't wait to come to Texas and we go riding together. Oh, I'd love it, man. I would for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And thank you all for uh, watching our podcast on our platforms and uh, listening to us on KCAA, our NBC affiliate out in Southern California. Thank you so much. Thank you to all the great sponsors of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. If you or your business is interested in being a sponsor of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show, please call our office at 830-992-1786 or visit our website, cowboyentrepreneur.com.